Hello, it's great to be speaking to you. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dan and I have the privilege in the next 15 minutes or so of continuing with our King's Community Church summer preaching series based on the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. I don't know if you've been able to follow along with the preaching series so far. We've been doing the preachers on a Sunday morning at our in-person meetings and we've also been recording them and uploading them to our YouTube homepage. If you've missed the preachers then I really encourage you if you can to go over to King's Community Church YouTube homepage. You can find a link on the page of this video is online I'm sure and check out some of the other preachers in the series. If you have been following along, you'll have, you'll have heard, I hope, that uh, the weight of Dane Ortland's book is to draw out the fact that God's heart towards us in Christ is at its core, at its centre, if I can put it that way, gentle and lowly. In the midst of the embarrassments of life, the failures that inevitably come if we live long enough, God does not stand aloof, he does not stand far off, but delights to draw near. He's abounding in compassion, abounding in mercy and forgiveness. And when we turn to him, no matter what we've done, no matter what the situation, circumstance we find ourselves in, he will draw alongside. He's not haughty, he won't stand far off. God revealed in Christ, is revealed in Christ as gentle and lowly. Now, I don't know, but maybe listening to those words, you find yourself feeling sceptical. Maybe you're listening to this and you're, you're not a Christian, and intuitively you feel that if there is a God, then that God is likely to be harsh and exacting, or perhaps at best capricious, unpredictable, compassionate, some of the time uh, angry and mean uh, the rest of the time. Alternatively, I don't know if you're listening to this and you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for many years and you've heard words about God's heart like the ones I've just spoken Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and yet you find you don't have conviction that they're true. You find that you're not living as if God's heart towards us really is gentle and lowly, that he really is uh, abounding in mercy. I want to take the rest of the time that I have now to suggest one reason why we might feel uh, in these ways, why we might have these responses towards the proposition that God's heart towards us is gentle and lowly. I'm going to take uh, one of Dane Orland's chapters as, as our guide. And in this chapter, I can't remember off the top of my head which chapter it is now, but it's definitely in the book. I'll leave you to find it. Uh, in this chapter, Dane Orland suggests one reason we might struggle to accept God's heart towards us is really as it is. It is gentle uh, and lowly is because we find ourselves believing that God's heart is as our hearts are. We make God out to be ourselves. And as I was thinking about this, I realize that of course I do and I wonder if you do too I I, I realize I make my heart out or and I make others hearts out to be as my heart is quite quite regularly I assume that other people have the same character traits the same emotional responses 
to situations that that I do. I wonder if you if that resonates. Maybe you you've got into trouble because of this this assumption. It can get you in quite a lot of trouble. I think uh, I think about sometimes where I've frustrated some of my extrovert friends. Like, this isn't a very serious this isn't a very serious example, but I think sometimes some of the times I've uh, frustrated some of my extrovert friends. I've forgotten that uh, they do not see uh, several consecutive nights in alone in their room reading a book as a good time. And perhaps the way I, as an introvert, do I in those situations I read my own preferences into the into my into my extrovert friends I make uh, them out to be as I am as I said that's a fairly trivial example but there can be some quite serious consequences of these assumptions and apparently the seriousness of those consequences and the extent to which people do this uh, the, the, way, the degree to which it is widespread amongst uh, people, amongst humankind, uh, has meant that psychologists have actually given the impact of it a, a technical name. It's the, the false consensus effect. We are so liable, humans are so liable to, uh, to assume that others have the same preferences and perspectives as, as, as they do, that, uh, that there is this sense of consensus that develops, or people see a consensus that isn't really there. And given that uh, people that we have this inclination to see others as sharing the same uh, preferences, the same attitudes as we do, I don't think it's an unreasonable step to suggest, and this is what Dane Orland does, to suggest that we might do the same to God, that we might make God's heart out, God's response towards us uh, to be the same as ours might be. Uh, one of the passages in which God points to our propensity, to our liability to do this, is uh, in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And I'll just read, if you have a Bible with you, open your Bible now to chapter 55. I'm going to read chapter 55, verses 6 through, through 9, uh, starting with 6 and 7, and then going on to, to 8 and 9. So as I see here in this passage, we see God pointing to our propensity, to our liability, to make his heart out to be as our hearts are. Starting at verse 6, though, Isaiah chapter 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon and in these verses, we see the heart of God that we've heard about through the, the whole series, the whole gentle and lowly preaching series to this point. It says, return and you'll receive compassion. God will be compassionate. He won't just forgive. He won't just pardon, but he will abundantly pardon, abundantly forgive. I love that it puts the word abundant in there. God is not the God of the minimum or the half-hearted. He is the God of the over-the-top, uh, the immeasurable, the, the abundant Turn to God no matter what you've done and he will pardon, he will forgive. He's not haughty, he's a lowly, gentle God. And then uh, the passage goes on. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, this is verse 8 now, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This is God speaking directly. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
Verse 8 again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. What do, what do these words do? Well, I think they certainly tell us through contrast something about the nature of our hearts versus the nature of God's heart. The passage doesn't say explicitly what our hearts are like, but we get an impression from the contrast that is drawn God's heart, abundantly forgiving, compassionate. But Dane Orland writes, and I think he's onto something, that these words also show God pointing out our tendency to make his abundantly forgiving, compassionate heart out to be like our hearts. He's identifying humankind's propensity to assume our hearts as his. And I think in the context uh, of the passage, it's not just pointing to our propensity to do this, but he's also dealing with it and trying to deal with the effects, or he's very much dealing with the effects that it, that it can have. These words, for my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, they cut down our assumption as it is budding. They cut down the assumption of the reader uh, as, as, as it might be coming up before we can run away with them. They clear the ground for us to truly accept God's abundant forgiveness. You know, God's saying, I will have compassion. You don't need to worry. My heart is not like your heart. Perhaps uh, a story might, might help uh, illustrate the point. If you imagine perhaps a pair of brothers, the first brother has been very successful professionally, personally, and he's got this success through always honouring his promises, keeping his word, meeting his debts. And of course, these are all good things to do. Uh, but the second brother, uh, he's not been quite so successful. He's been happy for the first brother, but he's watched on at the same time a bit concerned about what the, his brother, the first brother, is, is building his, his life, life upon building his life upon keeping his word. And the second brother worries that there's going to come a time inevitably where his brother, the first brother, has to accept forgiveness. The second brother wonders whether the first brother will be able to do that because he's founded his life on the idea that he always uh, keeps his word, he always keeps his promises. If you imagine some time goes by, the first brother, wealthier than the second brother, uh, offers to help the second brother with some money to buy a house. The second brother is very happy about this, goes away, finds a house, gets a long way through the, per the, the process of purchase until just at the crucial point, the first brother pulls the money away. Uh, first brother's uh, child is, is in trouble and the money is needed to deal with that, that circumstance. And imagine the scene, you know, the first time the brothers meet after this has happened. Imagine the first brother bursting through the door, immediately apologising, saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, we'll get some money together, I'll make this up to you, I'll honour our agreement, I'll honour our agreement. And then imagine the second brother kind of cutting in to the desperate words of his first brother, saying, firstly, I, I forgive you, you don't need to worry, but then going on and saying, you know, you really don't need to worry, because I don't see this situation as you see it, I don't feel about it in the, the way you feel about it. I don't see the situation as you do. I forgive you and you don't need to worry because, excuse me, because <coughs> I don't see the situation as you see it. And the second brother here is recognising a tendency in his brother and, and addressing it. I know you feel you must do something 
to make this right between us. But I don't see the situation in the way you do. I don't think about this or uh, about life in the same way you do. And what God is doing, I think, in this passage in Isaiah is recognising that tendency that we have to make our, his heart out to be as our anything but abundantly, uh, abundantly forgiving hearts, compassionate hearts. He's recognising that tendency and, and addressing it and cutting it, cutting down that assumption before it prevents us from accepting that abundant forgiveness, from accepting that he is compassionate, that he does want to draw alongside us. Return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. You don't need to worry. I really will forgive, God says. My heart is not like your heart. Don't let that uh, assumption, that idea grow up inside you and stop you from receiving what you can have. Of course, if our hearts were as God's heart, endlessly gentle, fully uh, lowly, abundantly forgiving and compassionate, then there wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be an issue that we make out God's heart to be as our hearts. But of course, our hearts are not like that, are they? We, we do, of course, see outstanding examples of forgiveness, of mercy in the world. We see high profile ones. We, there are far lots of unheralded ones that are only ever known by two or three people going on in the context of the ebb and flow of, of everyday life. But I don't think it's too controversial to suggest that our compassion, our forgiveness, we, we find that it, it's finite. We find that it's difficult to forgive. We find that it's difficult to have compassion. Perhaps you've managed to forgive much over the years, but there's an offence, a big offence that's been done towards you uh, recently. And, and you find that in the face of this se severe offence, this major offence, you just, you just can't forgive. You can't reconcile with that person or organisation that has done what's, what they've done. Perhaps alternatively, you've forgiven a person much over the years, again and again and again, uh, and they've not done anything much worse than they've done in the past, but you're now struggling to forgive just because you're fatigued, you just find you can't forgive any more. Well, God has compassion on you, but he'd also want you to know so what this passage tells us is his heart is not as our hearts are. He does not tire of, of forgiving. He is abundant. There is endless grace and mercy. There are new mercies, the Bible says, every every morning. Never tiring. God is never tiring, never turning. And we miss the security that comes from the knowledge of the nature of God's abundant uh, forgiveness and compassion towards us when we take God's heart to be as our hearts are. So drawing to a close then, how can we displace this tendency that we have to assume that God's heart is as our hearts are, are anything but abundantly compassionate and forgiving hearts? How can we break the habit? Well, we can look to the Jesus that we've heard about throughout this series, Gentle uh, and, and lowly, 
Jesus, the embodiment of God's gentleness and lowliness, the embodiment of his abundant compassion and forgiveness. And as we look to Jesus, we can perhaps also remember these, these words from Isaiah that cut down our assumption at the root that God's heart is anything but what it is presented, us, presented to us as being in the person of Jesus. Cuts away, these words cut away our assumption that God's heart is not abundantly Imagine uh, abundantly forgiving, that cut away the assumption that it is not endlessly merciful. So I'll just read the passage one more time and then pray, but I, I hope this has been helpful for you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For God's thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways of forgiveness, of compassion, of mercy are higher than our ways of forgiveness and compassion and mercy. And his thoughts of forgiveness, compassion and mercy are higher than our thoughts. Father God, thank you for your heart towards us. Thank you for the abundance of your compassion and mercy towards us. I ask that by your spirit, as we reflect on all you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, we would be relieved of the idea that your heart towards us is as our hearts so often are towards others and towards you. Let there be no doubt of the consistency and the power of your love for us in our minds. And may we live in the benefit uh, of that, that conviction, glorifying you uh, with our lives. Amen. Well, I hope that has been helpful for you. Uh, take care.